0: Welcome to Musicians Weekend, the podcast in which we explore the weird and wonderful lives of those who keep classical music making alive. I'm Imogen and I play the trumpet. I studied at the Royal Academy of Music for my undergrad and spent a year with Southbank Symphonia straight after. I then studied for a couple of months in Oslo and have since been freelancing in London.
1: I'm Tabina and I'm a cellist. As you can probably tell from my accent, I'm from New Zealand, where I did my bachelor's at the University of Auckland followed by a Master's at Sunny Sydney Conservatorium. In 2013 I joined the Southbank Sinfonia and I've been freelancing in London ever since.
2: My name's Olivia and I play the harp. I did an undergraduate at Manchester University and a Master's at the Royal Academy of Music.
1: So today it's Bank Holiday Monday, the Lido is full, the barbecues are fired up, and in true Musicians Weekend style, we're working all day. So Imogen,
0: what have you been up to in the last fortnight? Well, since the last episode, I had a very typical musician's weekend week, um, because I went on a four-day holiday to Devon with my boyfriend, who's a trombone player. Uh, We went from Monday to Thursday, and then we came back on Thursday night because we were both working from Thursday night till Sunday. Um, So yeah, it was kind of, it was definitely a nice break, really nice to get away, but we did take our instruments on holiday because we had to keep in shape so we had to practice yes. so yeah we made a bit of time for that every morning doing a bit of practice um and then we would go and forget about our instruments and go out for the rest of the day that's extremely impressive taking your instruments away with you did you keep your chops up oh kind of say? there were a few times when i could hear rupert practicing and i spent the whole time on my phone <laughs> and then, <laughs> then he came downstairs and have you done your practice and i was like oh no guilty so, yeah have you been to any concerts
1: <laughs> and that's what mate.
0: Yes, last week I went to watch um, the amazing brass group Septura um, play at St. John's Smith Square. So this was the third concert in a series of four concerts that they've been doing called Kleptomania, which is basically mm. like a love of stealing, stealing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, I think I've wrote it down here because I couldn't remember them all. But um, the four concerts they've done, the first one was called Stolen Strings, the second one Pilfered Piano, The third one, Borrowed Baroque, and the fourth one is Song Swag, where they basically (laughs) arrange loads of different music from all the different genres um, for brass, and it's really clever. The group is three trumpets, three trombones, and a tuba player, and they're basically loads of the leading brass players in London. I mean, it was so brilliant, and the, the from this one, Borrowed Baroque, the big finale of the concert, the, the big piece was Polcinella by Stravinsky. Great piece. Which was absolutely brilliant, and it, so much of it sounded like it really was written just for brass, <laughs> so it's kind of funny to remember That's that it wasn't. Great. Yeah, it's clever stuff. Don't tell any... the double
1: bassists that, because they love the bass solo and <laughs> Are
0: there any more concerts coming up in that series? Yeah, so the last one, Song Swag, is in July, um, so I'll definitely mention that again nearer the time. Um, but yeah, I think I'm, my ticket was £5 for anyone under 30, £5 tickets at some right. John's. So yeah, I hugely recommend that. If you're under 30? If you're under 30. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so close. <laughs> so
1: close. <laughs> what about you, Olivia? What have you been up to?
2: I went to a concert as part of LSA St Luke's Women in Music series. Uh, it's a series of free Friday lunchtime concerts at 1230 And they're very informal and they're introduced by Rachel Leach and she talked about the composers and how a lot of their music had been forgotten because they were women. And it was Rebecca Gilliver on cello and Sophia Rahman on piano. And the next concert in the series is this coming Friday 11th of May and it's Sarah Quinn on violin, William Melvin on violin and (laughs) Christina McMaster on piano. So I'd recommend checking that out and you have to get tickets for that no it's free entry anyone can just walk in Uh, I also tried to go to a concert that was part of the British Museum's symphony of cultures but I couldn't get in because I was with a friend who had his viola with him and I had no idea as a harpist because I rarely (laughs) I take my instrument around with me unless I'm playing (laughs) that we wouldn't be able to get in because of security reasons, so you to the symphony of cultures. Yeah, so we no. couldn't get into the British Museum with the instrument, and you couldn't check it in or anything. No. Like. Well, they said, "Oh, yeah, there's a shop around the corner where you can leave luggage and things." Luggage? Oh, okay. No, no way. I'll leave it underneath the suitcase. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I just thought that was really interesting. I have That's no idea strange. about that. I've also know. been listening to some episodes of Soul Music. I don't know if either of you have ever listened to it. But it's a Radio Four series and they focus on a different piece of well-known music and they weave stories of people's personal encounters with the music. And that's how they sort of dissect the piece. The latest episode is God Only Knows, I think. Mm -hmm. That was the the last one. But they do have a few classical episodes. And so a couple of weeks ago, they released one on Debussy's Preli della Prima d'un D'Anform, and I listened to um Bark's um Gnug one, which is really good, um, Elgar's Dream of Gerontius, and my personal favourite is the Bohem episode. And I defy you not to cry. That one. But I, I really recommend that series and it I felt like it tied in well with what we spoke about last week about the um classical music insecurity complex about yeah, how yeah. when you when you listen to a piece you think you're supposed to hear all these Complex things mm. and then when you actually listen to people's personal experiences with it and they're always so emotional Yeah,
0: it's an emotional reaction. Yeah isn't it? Um, And Davina what have you been up to the last two weeks? Well, I'm back in full swing after holiday
1: mode uh, a couple weeks ago I had a rather cultural day. Um, I caught the penultimate performance of Amadeus at National Theatre I know Olivia's already spoken about this um, before but I really enjoyed it I probably could have benefited from seeing it a second time It's too late now because the run is finished, um, (laughs) because I kept getting distracted by all the musicians I knew on stage. They were all former members of South Bank Symphonia. So I forgot to listen to the dialogue and I forgot (laughs) to listen to what the actors were saying, which is, you know, quite crucial in a play. Um, After that, uh, we went on to a duet concert in St. Saviour's Church in Warwick Avenue. And it was put on by the cellist and double bassist of the Barclay Ensemble, um, Gemma Wareham and Lachlan Radford and they played an amazing wide range of repertoire of lower string duets which I suppose you wouldn't really be completely familiar with unless you play those specific instruments but they played um, Barrier, um, Rossini, the Rossini duet in particular my husband and I we always try and play that through every once in a while and then we fail miserably because it's actually quite hard <laughs> so we'll probably try again later this year Um, And they culminated their performance with a hilarious encore of Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson. But going to that concert gave me some fresh inspiration for a duet concert that I've got coming up. um, as part of my ensemble that I'm part of called The Two Kiwi Cellos. Um, My duet partner, Andrea, and I, we do a concert every year in Garrick's Temple to Shakespeare in Hampton. If you haven't been there before, it's a beautiful little pagoda building, um, a really intimate space, and it's right on the banks of the River Thames. So uh, we try and keep repertoire as fresh as we can um, to avoid playing the same stuff over and over and over. So as a result, I've
2: been dabbling in arranging my own music.
1: Have you guys ever arranged anything?
2: I have to arrange... Well, I choose to arrange a lot on the harp. I play a lot of piano music. So um, often scribbling out notes and adding the pedals, if that counts as arranging. Oh, yeah. I did spend um, many months a few years ago trying to arrange some Messian preludes for two harps but (laughs) I think
1: it's really easy right
2: yeah (laughs) I think it was a bit too ambitious
1: I'm fairly new to arranging but I every time I sit down to do it, I really enjoy it and I, I learn a lot about the whole process and I think you get to that point where you have faith in your own abilities and knowledge of a particular instrument so you know what works when you write it down In classical news this week, the MU launched a campaign called The Musician Behind the Moment to illustrate the value of the UK's orchestral musicians, for example, playing in dementia hospitals or on film scores, like Star Wars. The BBC then reported on this campaign with the headline, orchestral musicians living on (laughs) breadline.
2: How does this make you feel, Olivia? I got so riled up. So riled up. I stayed up till 2am with my flatmate discussing this because I was just so (laughs) enraged. So, first of all, in this article that we'll put a link to, the only figure they quoted was £30,000 for um, certain jobs in a couple of UK orchestras. And any average member of the public reading that article would see that figure and straight away think well that's not the breadline because that's already above yeah. the uk national average which
1: is twenty seven thousand a year right
2: yeah i don't even know if that's the median or like i don't yeah. even know if that's
1: but it's well above yeah yeah
2: and um so first of all, i first thought well that doesn't really help our cause and uh, i just felt like it was really poor reporting by the bbc because it didn't do any comparison with any other elite Entertainment. Yeah. Or
1: sports people. That's,
2: that, I think if yeah. they wanted to make that point, they should have used figures.
1: Like, say, how much an orchestral musician gets paid compared with
0: Novak Djokovic. Quite but an extreme example. But that would be perhaps a, <laughs> a, a, a soloist. A soloist. That's different, isn't it? What about a, someone in an Olympic team or something, perhaps? Yeah, so is in, in more of a team Or style? a rock
1: band or something. Maybe different types of music.
2: Yeah. And obviously I get really frustrated as we briefly mentioned in the last episode about people's perception of musicians as not having a real job job. and I thought this doesn't help us again by just saying that musicians are struggling and obviously loads of people do struggle but I think it was just sad that BBC twisted the MU's campaign for respecting musicians role in society and turned it into Hmm. musicians are having to do the whatever example, they can get, whatever yeah, they can exactly. get, and, they, yeah. and the example they use for whatever they can get was teach. But yeah. loads of us teach, and we all really enjoy it. Enjoy it. it. Yeah. That was that was
1: um, the issue. I, I thought was um, how they kind of made it seem like orchestral playing was all we wanted to do, like as in the end yeah. goal, and referring to teaching as additional work kind of put it as secondary status. I think. And it's really necessary to teach. I think it better society if more and more people are learning music, not only for mu- new musicians to come through in the next generation, but also so that we have audiences to play to in the future,
0: yeah. that appreciate music. But also exciting that, that you know these children are being taught. You know, lots of them by people who are you know, playing on these recordings for films or doing these big concerts, and that's you know it should be really inspiring. I saw an article um, that compared. That this salary that we get in the UK or some in some orchestras, um, to you know perhaps what an orchestral musician gets paid in a German orchestra. Mm. Oh yeah, and it and it is quite stark actually the difference. It's 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 huge actually yeah. the difference, and sure. and it really you know you think oh wow if I went and worked in Germany, would I I'd be that much more valued? You know, mm. we need to increase the demand for people to want to go to the concerts.
2: So they talk about uh, ticket sales, but most music, classical music companies are charities, they rely heavily on funding, public funding donations. And donations, yeah. private donations. So if they can find a way of marketing musicians in a positive way, then they can increase demand f- to want for people to go to classical dances. Yeah. And it does
1: start from right from the beginning, I would say, with education. How if you teach kids that it's something to appreciate. Yeah. You know, you will you'll come up with a generation of really keen music supporters and concertgoers amidst this current climate of constant arts funding cuts.
0: Also in the news over the last couple of weeks, I read about the potential closing of the East Sussex Music Service. Um, And this struck a chord with me because I grew up through a music service, the Kingston Music Service. um, And I didn't actually have my instrumental lessons through there, but I attended a big band and concert band every Saturday. And it was a huge part of my kind of social upbringing at the time. And just musically, it was a huge impact on me. So I just think it's, yeah, kind of devastating that that it might completely close by 2019. Um, They haven't totally decided yet, but they're looking into other alternatives. Um, but yeah, this, it's, apparently it's celebrating its 84th year of music service, wow. and at the moment it delivers music lessons to around 7,000 children in schools. Um, so yeah, just the thought of all these kids not having s- enough, such amazing access to music, is just really awful.
2: Awful. Um, we'll put a link to the petition you can sign um, to help stop this invaluable part of the community being shut down. Now to more positive news in the classical music world, the announcement of the musicians for the royal wedding. Uh, cellist Sheku Kanne Mason will be playing and singing the Welsh soprano Ellen Manahan Thomas, and conducting it is Christopher Warren Green. Do
0: you think you just need a double-barrel surname to be
1: there? I think so. Yeah,
0: I think oh. so. Yeah, that's um, why I was that's a real shame. Yeah. Real shame.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I met Sheku in. Um, Hill of all places, so where I live in South London. I didn't even think that he would be in this part of town because he's from Nottingham. But there was in the Station Square with his cello on his back <laughs> and I'd just seen his performance, his winning performance of BBC Young Musician of the Year 2016 on iPlayer and he'd played the Shostakovich Concerto It was amazing and I saw him in the street and I just recognised him and of course I didn't have my cello so to him I just looked like this random crazy lady, just went up to him and I said... Hi, you don't know me, but I'm a cellist, and I just saw your performance. It was amazing. I totally fangirled oh, over so him. Nice. But he was really lovely. He, he wasn't weirded out at all, I think, maybe internally. but um, <laughs> He said, oh, thank you, that's really, really kind. Um, and it turns out he does some outreach at the school up the road. So ah. I think he was, um, he was in town doing that.
2: Great. Awesome. Uh, in other news, the classical Brits are making a comeback after five years. And their statement is, the revival of the classic Brits reflects a surge of interest in classical music. The official charts company says streams of classical music have risen 52% in the first two months of 2018, surpassing 10 million streams every week, except one. Wow. Just that one week. (laughs) Just that one week. (laughs) While Apple Music says a quarter of its subscribers listen to the genre.
0: So that's happy news that is nice
1: see there is hope for the future
0: yeah any thoughts on the classical brits i think some people i mean there was quite a lot of um backlash when it when it was on wasn't there about it being just really celebrating really populist music basically and and kind of something perhaps cheapening some of the I. I they, they, they the... do celebrate a lot
2: of crossover
0: classical, classical
1: music I've never heard of the classical brits actually Really? So, yeah. So, it was it crossover stuff mostly?
2: Well, there was a lot of awards that would go to
0: the military wives choir. Yeah. Um it's hosted by mining class. So, there's a bit of a you know that kind of that kind of vibe. But I think it's great that She's it's done in up... a pop
2: band. To oh, me, okay. You know, just to try and like set the scene. Sorry, but, but <laughs> really? yeah, She, yeah, she yeah, plays sure. the harp and the piano. Oh, so I loved
0: her when I was a kid. <laughs> she was in Hearsay. I actually, I read. She said that with her first Hearsay paycheck, she actually bought a piano. Oh, um, so yeah, sure. she, she kind of you know
1: yeah. So I suppose in this sense, the term classical is quite broad. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I I will never diss crossover classical crossover music.
1: Well, if it means that people can listen to classical music and uh, uh, sorry, if it means that people who otherwise wouldn't listen to classical music get introduced to the genre, then that can only be a good thing.
2: I'm in my notes. It is a good gateway drug into the hard <laughs> stuff, oh. which sounds a little <laughs> dodgy. you can cut Would that, that make
1: you an addict now?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I do. Create classical music addicts. <laughs>
0: So, now to this week's special guest. Davina, tell us about who
1: you interviewed. Well, our special guest this week I'm really excited about um, is my dear friend Lisa Bucknell. She is a freelance viola player living in London whom I met back in 2009 when we were both studying at Sydney Con. She's Australian, as you will hear in the interview. We come across each other quite a lot in London because we do a mix of orchestral, chamber music, function gigs as well as all the other weird stuff in between. Um, So we both moved here to do South Bank Symphonia in separate years and we've shared similar challenges and struggles being Antipodeans working and living in the UK. So this interview follows a week where we did four gigs together and it provides a little bit of insight into the varied and sometimes very strange life of being a freelance string player. So here's my conversation with Lisa Bucknell. You did tell me recently about a rather special birthday party (laughs) that you played for, and I was wondering
3: if you'd like to share with us
0: whose birthday it was. Well, uh,
3: it was last week, and it was Her Majesty the Queen's birthday party. Just casual. Just, you know, (laughs) as you do. Yeah. As you do.
1: And how was it playing for the Queen?
3: I was surprised at how excited I got. I just thought... You know, another concert, another star-studded group of artists, artists that we have to work with. So, for example, who was the Oh, well, on the bill? Kylie, Kylie Minogue was your, there.
1: Your fellow compatriot. Yes,
3: <laughs> yes. It was nice because the idea behind the concert was to have lots of different artists from all over the Commonwealth.
0: I see. And yeah. so
3: uh, they had someone from Australia, someone from Canada – lots of different people because of the Queen's Pledge that she made on her 21st birthday mm. uh, about a promise to, to the Commonwealth Nations. And oh. I think it may have been a bit awkward for, for Kylie because she clearly didn't get the memory that they already it. had an Australian. but Really? So who was that? Me. Oh, you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: See, but course. Yeah, I mean, of course. You'd be headlining that, that bill. That is that is awkward. So one thing I really wanted to talk about was um, the differences between freelancing in Australia and freelancing in the UK and
3: London specifically. The biggest difference is the amount of choral societies that I have come across. <laughs> There's a choral society on every street it seems. And it's great because they, uh, they rehearse, I, I guess most of them weekly leading up to concerts, and then they hire a symphony orchestra Mm. and put on usually really high-quality performances. And that sort of thing is much rarer in Sydney. In Sydney, a lot of the freelance work that I was doing was for weddings and other functions and uh, studio recording. I think also one one of the pros of working in Sydney is that the amount that you get paid... Is very lovely however there doesn't seem to be as much work there just seems to be a lot of the work going to the same people over and over again because in as much as anything you want to work with people who you trust and if there's not a lot of work to be spread around then you're just constantly working with the same people and then giving the same people more work uh, after that whereas over here there's lots of different stuff. Enough yeah. work to go around if you're diligent and professional enough.
1: Yeah. I think I noticed that as well, like coming to London and everyone sort of has their own little pocket. Mm. So there's so many different circles in London that there's enough work to go around. Whereas in Sydney everyone's fighting for that top tier. Yes. Aren't they? So this the standard can be absolutely incredible, but it's so competitive to get there. Yeah. I think also in London coming from somewhere smaller, like Sydney, or for me, Auckland, um, and you get used to seeing the best a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. and obviously that level does exist here in London, but do you find also that there's a lot of work going of a more mediocre level? Yes.
3: The idea that you have coming from a smaller city is that London is you know the best of the best and uh and it's you know super competitive and you need to be of an outlandishly high quality to be making it Mm -hmm. and that is true for the top echelon players it absolutely is true i'm not taking anything away from them but there still is a bell curve just like there is in sydney but because there are more people the, the greatest people at the top, there might be a few more of them. The average people in the middle, there's way more of them. But, and then there is still space for the, <laughs> the few at the bottom, you know. Yeah. The, the special ones. The special ones. <laughs> maybe, maybe wouldn't have
1: survived anywhere else. The yeah, poss- yes,
3: exactly, possibly not. <laughs> How do you find getting auditions in this country? Have you found it difficult? Or... At first, I did. Because I did my bachelor in Sydney, Mm-hmm and then moved over here and went straight into Southbank Sinfonia, I found coming out of that sometimes I wouldn't get an audition, even for a tutti job uh, mm. with an orchestra. And I was not sure what what was going on. I, You know, it could be a mixture of a few different things, maybe because I didn't have a master's degree. Maybe because I hadn't studied over here. Yeah. Maybe I didn't have the right references. Or the right
1: visa
0: sometimes. Oh, yes.
3: But then I did a master's in London. And I don't seem to have any problems getting auditions at the moment.
1: So I thought we could maybe reflect on the week we've had. I think I've done four gigs with you. This past week,
3: I think we've probably seen each other more than we've seen our husbands. That's probably true. (laughs) And my my husband
1: has had tonsillitis this week, so (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen much of him at all. But um, we had quite an interesting gig, which was recording for a rather
3: neurotic groom. It was a groom had requested a number of songs to be played as background music for their wedding and decided that he needed to hear a group play it so that he could be comfortable with what was going on.
1: So then this groom then asked for a video recording Yes. of a string quartet Yes. playing all these arrangements of specific pop songs. Yes. Is this the weirdest wedding request you've had?
3: There was one wedding that I did where oh no this is definitely the weirdest and most uncomfortable request that I've ever had. So we rock up to the wedding uh, and everything had already been organized previously. And the groom runs over to us just before the bride arrives. And he says, can you do me a really big favor? I'm like, absolutely, sure. Okay. So when she comes in, we've requested puckle bells for her to walk down to. But as a joke, it's never a good start. Uh-oh. Could you please start playing the theme to Jaws? Oh, that's just me. And we said to him, well, we could, but are you sure that that's the right thing for us to be doing? He was like, yeah, it'll be hilarious. It'll be so funny. Yeah, for him. (laughs) Is she going to find it hilarious? Oh, don't worry, don't worry. She'll think it's funny. Did you go through with it? We did. I don't know if the bride laughed. Uh, a lot of the congregation laughed but they did get married
0: nice.
3: they might be still married because <laughs> we <laughs> don't know her. do we <laughs> <laughs> so what
1: what have you got coming up
3: this week are you going to be more of a musician or have more of a weekend
1: yes
3: this week i'm working with the bbc symphony orchestra it's a concert uh, at the bbc's studio in madevale mm mm-hmm. And they have these um, shortish concerts every now and again. And it's, it's a really nice, relaxed atmosphere because the audience is not very large. They have to line up for tickets that get advertised on the website. That's good to know.
1: So you've got that BBC concert coming yes. up. Mm. And there's a bit
3: of a weekend as well. Yeah, I think I have a couple of days off. I might actually be able to do some washing. Yeah, I had, I had quite a long week. I think that I had a 10 or 11 day week the past week. Do you find that when you get to the end of it, you start to slow down your pace? I'm getting used to it now. But something that I find very stressful still occasionally is looking in the diary and seeing, oh, I have nothing for the rest of my life.
0: Great,
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and so I think I guess it's conducive to saying yes all the time, isn't it? Yes. because I think sure. when is this work going to come up again? Mm. But the hu- it's hard to say no, isn't it?
3: Yeah, especially if it's something that you really want to do. Mm. No matter how busy you are, if another cool thing comes in, and y- you don't you don't want to say no to it because. It's fun. Yeah. There are a lot of gigs where it can be a really hard slog. Yeah. But on the flip side, you get other gigs where, for example, I did a gig a few months ago now. We were flown to Nice and we played for the National Theatre on a yacht in Cannes. Where the guest of honour was Her Majesty Helen Mirren. <laughs> oh gosh, so another, another Her Majesty. Yes, another Queen, another Queen to add to my little box of tricks. So what did you get to meet her? Yeah. What was she like? Yeah, I got a photo with her and everything. With Helen Mirren? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, she's she was really lovely. And she gave a really, really awesome keynote speech, similar to what in a way, what we've been talking about, about how artists, actors, musicians have to work so hard. And I was really proud of how she was able to use her her social standing to be able to comment on how it can be really hard and that we rehearse for hours and hours and hours. And that we need the support, we need the financial support of big companies uh, mm-hmm. to be able to fund these things. And it's important for us to have that support so that we can keep on producing high-quality material and high-quality performances for other people to appreciate mm-hmm. and enjoy. Because society benefits absolutely um,
1: in the end, doesn't it? Yeah. One last question mm. I would like to ask you,
3: and that is, if you weren't working in music, what do you think you would be doing? Well, let's say I've lopped my hand off somehow. <laughs> please don't. I <laughs> had <laughs> an accident <laughs> with a <the> chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that's terrible. I would become, please don't laugh, a visa immigration uh, lawyer slash advocate slash advisor. Okay. At this point, I've done five applications... the UK goodness and I've also spent a lot of time since the success of my previous application helping other people to also attain theirs and I think that I know more than most of their lawyers seem to have known about the process so the visa that uh, that myself and my husband are on He's a tier one exceptional promise visa. Ah, yes. you so
1: exceptional. I
3: know, I know. <laughs> I mean, even the Home Office thinks that we are, so <laughs> 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 who's to argue with them? Yeah, There's just no information out there, and it's really challenging and very, very stressful to apply for these things. Yeah. And I just discovered that I had quite a knack for doing it, and I currently have a 100% success rate. <gasps> so yeah. I must be doing something right. That's a really good answer because I feel like you would bring
1: a, a sense of empathy to the, the whole process, well, which, which an immigration lawyer might not
3: have. Yeah, once you've been through something, you do see it in a different light. And once you've been able to appreciate how easy it is to make silly little mistakes mm. that could cost you really your life, Because if you get rejected in the first, in the second stage, you don't get to reapply. So it's all or nothing (gasps) for some of these visas. See you later, it's been a great life. Go somewhere else. Yeah. They really don't make it easy for you, do they? No no but I don't make it easy for them either <laughs>
1: <laughs> you are exceptional <laughs> you defy definition
3: I imagine yeah yes definitely yeah. I'm curious what sort of things do you have to put and to show that you're exceptional you provide them with 10 documents uh, covering three different categories awards the second one media recognition so if you've Uh, had a review in a newspaper or if you've appeared on a radio show somewhere anything like that and the third one is proof of your work so as a musician it could be concert programs that you have coming up or have done in the past or a contract Mm -hmm. uh, or you know something along those lines for the exceptional promise visa you need to be able to prove that one day you will be a world leader in your field. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you already? Well, that's that's for the exceptional talent visa. You need to oh, be able to prove that you're a world leader in your field. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think one of the awards that we, because they need to be internationally recognized awards. Okay. Master's degree, it's an award. It's internationally recognized. Oh uh, right, so it doesn't need to be like a competition kind of no. award, but a- an award of education. Yeah, and so once you start thinking creatively like that, then <laughs> you can do anything. anything. Yeah, <laughs> I should write a musical. <laughs>
1: yeah, you should. That's that's a tagline.
3: <laughs> Thank you very much. You no know worries for right. doing this.
1: I better let you go because you've got a gig with the Queen now, haven't you?
3: She can wait. She's been waiting for 92 years.
1: (laughs) Yeah, what's another year? (laughs) That was my chat with Lisa. And now it's time for Weird Gig of the Week.
2: I was sent in a story by jazz musician Mike Allen from Canada. And he messaged saying there was a Guy Fieri... Wannabe type dude in town. I looked this up and it's the UK equivalent to Gordon Ramsay. Okay, <laughs> who was obsessed with hot dogs. He wanted to open his own restaurant that exclusively sold high-end hot dogs. There was one item on the menu that cost $100. Before opening the restaurant though, he went on an across North America tour where he sampled said hot dogs. He filmed the whole thing and turned it into a documentary or a dogumentary as he called it. <laughs> And Mike, who was, who's the one who sent this message in, his band was booked to be in the film and to play in the new hot dog restaurant. And it was an eight-person band, so they could only fit about 20 other people in there. So the restaurant was completely rammed. And then a couple of months later, he was then booked again to play for the launch of the documentary. Dogumentary. <laughs> sorry. Um Mike said, it was a pretty decent film, actually. But looking back on it, I think playing the release party for a hot dog documentary <laughs> was my weirdest gig
1: that's pretty weird i would like to know if he got free hot dogs
2: i hope he got the hundred dollar ones as well i oh. hope he got the best wow the
0: best hot. Dogs. what would be on a hundred dollar hot dog or what kind of truffle would it be probably. made oh yeah good yeah point. something
1: really posh gold like
2: leafed there. bums i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so thanks thank you mike for sending that in and please keep sending in your weird gig stories We love hearing them and we'll be sharing one at the end of every episode.
1: So now we thought we'd mention some upcoming concerts um, in London. Um, Wigmore Hall, uh, in particular, have got some amazing looking concerts coming up. I, in particular, am looking forward to Roddy Williams. Baritone is doing a concert with pianist Ian Burnside, May 16th, plus a post-concert talk. Um, There are some great string quartets coming up too. Uh, That's sort of my... Um, domain, uh, such as the Indelian Strinkle Tip May 13th, and the Tuckach Strinkle Tip May 19th. Also, um, if you're under 35 at Wigmore Hall, you can sometimes get tickets for only £5, and it's about the only discount I'm entitled to anymore.
3: So I'm very excited <laughs> about that.
2: <laughs> I am looking forward to seeing George Benjamin's new opera at the Royal Opera House, Lessons in Love and Violence, written on skin, his previous opera that was performed there. Um, is one of my favourite operas of all time so I cannot wait to see this one
0: we hope you enjoyed this episode find us at musiciansweekend.com and please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app you can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for more material and interaction see you in a fortnight bye, bye. bye.